Hello, good morning, afternoon, evening, depending on what time you're listening to this. Uh, welcome to another podcast with iAnimate. I am your host, Larry Vasquez, and uh, we'll be I'll be actually flying solo today. I don't have my partner in crime, Rick Arroyo, with me, so uh, I'm dedicating this one to you, buddy. <laughs> he wasn't able to make it before the uh, time we had slotted for this, but uh, I've got actually a really good guest today. Uh, Samantha Youssef will be joining us. She's a very talented artist, has a rich background in traditional animation and uh, the arts, uh, figure drawing, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with her about that subject, how it plays a role still in CG today, and uh, just kind of some of her philosophy and background in regards to animation. So let's bring her on. Hello. Hey, Samantha, how you doing? I'm so cold. I'm okay. I just got a booster shot this morning, too, so I'm in a lot of pain. <laughs> cold and pain, huh? Not a great yeah. combo. Yeah, and I'm not a needles person, so I felt, like, totally nauseous for a while after uh, after my booster shot. It's okay. It's good to fight tetanus, so. <laughs> <laughs> a worthy cause, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I really wanted to thank you again for your time and joining us today for the the podcast. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you for inviting me to do it. Awesome, Very awesome. Cool. Now, um, I know you being up there in Canada, I'm going to have my work cut out for me in regards to the editing out all the A's after, right? <gasps> no, I'm just kidding. That was a, <laughs> that was a little joke. I had, <laughs> had a chance so to talk to Samantha cool. yesterday. <laughs> Just a joke to all our Canadian listeners. Just a joke. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> so uh, having spoke with you recently here, you mentioned it's very, very cold up there, huh? Well, it's a bit abnormally cold. I'm in Montreal, so we're getting a bit of a cold spell that we don't – We it's not like we don't get cold. We're Canada, but it's – yeah, it's, it's particularly cold, and I don't even feel we're equipped for it right now, but it's supposed to pick up next week, so that should be good. One of those kind of colds you never really kind of get used to, even if you're living up in a place that's typically cold at this time. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, when I was younger, it was just, you know, it was what we accepted as winter, but maybe after living around the world or living, having a few years of no winter, you come back, and I don't know how people live like this anymore. I don't know how I'm living like this. <laughs> just get but through it like, one winter at a time? Yeah, it's like really cold though. I mean, we're down at like minus 30 almost, which is so abnormal Celsius. for us. Yeah, Celsius, Celsius. Yeah, and that. we're usually floating around the freezing point. So yeah. Goodness. <laughs> How do you work and animate with shivering hands? Yeah, I know. Right? That's what it's <laughs> like today. I'm like in blankets all the time and stuff. It's so bad. <laughs> Normally it's okay because we do have heaters, but there they don't have to work in this kind of weather. So. <laughs> Well, I do, again, appreciate you joining us. I was just doing a quick introduction, and just I think it's going to be a, a neat show, and particularly with your background in, in traditional animation and arts here, I think it's going to be, bring a um, kind of a unique show for us. And one of the things that's kind of been fun with these podcasts is just the diversity that we've had regards into regards with the interviewees, and it's made each kind of show just a little bit different. And I think with yours here today, I think it's going to kind of do that same thing from just a different oh. perspective, so... Thank you. I mean, I'm happy to share whatever All right. whatever I can. I hope it's useful, <laughs> but they've been great so far. I've really enjoyed the podcast, so it's, it's nice to be part of it. Awesome. So for thinking of me. Well, tell you what, why don't you start out with a little bit of your background so we can kind of let those that are listening here, when I start talking about your, your background in traditional animation and arts here, kind of um, explain it a little bit more. Sure. Uh, well, I went to Sheridan College. This was like a decade ago. Like it was before it was a university. So it was kind of like a boot camp a little bit more back then and uh, very drawing focused. So I went there and then uh, while I was in school, I was working at a commercial animation studio as well, which was pretty great opportunity. It was with a um, great animator. You know, he worked on Roger Rabbit and stuff, this guy named Chuck Gamage. So I learned a lot working with him. And then... Uh, so you're doing that while you're going to school in Sheridan. Yeah, okay. yeah, I was doing that. I lived downtown Toronto, so actually not far from his studio, and I had to commute to Sheridan um, every day. So I tried to stay in the city as much as I could. Like, I'd go to school for classes, but I'd do most of my work at home, and then I'd go and work also and stuff. So did that, and then I went... So then when I finished Sheridan, I went to Spain and France to work on a feature film there. And, uh, and then after that, I went to Disney... And that was awesome. 
I mean, every experience that I had was awesome. Like, I'll just put that out there. Like, I'm really grateful for a lot of the places that I worked at. And I got so much out of all of them. And it was really exciting for me to, you know, go into Disney. And my first day was like on my birthday. So I was so, I was so, well, actually it was, it was the, my birthday. I arrived on my birthday. It was the Friday. And then I was supposed to start work on the Monday, but I just went into the studio because I was so excited. And I was like, it's my birthday today. And I just wanted to come in and I <laughs> And thought I was a freak like all these animators were just like wow she's all new and stuff but excited so um yeah so that was a great you know I learned so much because of all the internal training that they do there and uh, the mentor and just having those kind of artists around you to go over your work and teach you and and you know we had a lot of drawing classes and and then uh, after that I came back to Canada and I worked at Yowza Animation um, they do feature 2D work, and they're awesome. Uh, the guys that run it are like former Disney animators, and um, and then they came like it's like these three brothers that run the company, and they're the coolest ever. I think that was the most fun company I've ever worked at in my life. And uh, and then after that, I came back to Montreal, where I am now, and um, I still do some free like I work for a freelance animation studio here, like in commercial. And I do some freelance contracts. Like I just finished one with Disney. That was really fun. And uh, it's coming out in March. So then I can start putting that in my demo reel and everything. <laughs> and so that was really cool. And, and so I'm still freelancing. And then uh, since I came back to Montreal, I also started getting asked to teach um, life drawing to some of the 3D animators here at the studios. And that started three years ago. And so I ended up um, getting the idea to start my own company because instead of being hired for each student's consultant, um, they all became my clients instead. So now I have a program that I developed where I work with 3D animators and help them to better understand uh, posing, animation, analyzing reference, and bringing everything from my 2D background to work with 3D animators. And then I started teaching classes where I opened my online studio and stuff. And so so I'm still balanced. I'm sort of wearing the two hats because I want to keep my foot in the industry. And I love, I love as much as I love sharing and teaching, I still love, you know, doing so. Well, that's one um, of the unique things with iAnimate, having instructors who are still in the industry. And that's where I think the same benefit for you is that you're keeping up with what's kind of going on still in the industry. So it's the things that you're teaching and talking about, though there's a lot of foundational type stuff, there's still things that you can kind of bring into that are more current as well. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, like I think, I mean, that being said, I've, being a teacher is a newer experience for me than being an artist. And so I'm still always trying to learn how to be a better teacher. You know, I've, I'm starting to learn how people receive information and how, you know, I'm always trying to improve how I communicate it. And, and so that's a, a whole discipline unto itself. And not everyone's not every great artist is a great teacher and not every great teacher is a great artist. But I think it, it is important to have that balance because there's also, you know, with the amount, I mean, I'm always amazed at how talented like the new generations are and stuff too. And, and so you have to, you have to keep up or there's no <laughs> teaching them, you know? No, but I, I, I actually, I feel that teaching should be considered like for me, I consider it an honor to, have been asked to teach people and to help people with stuff. And I feel like I have to earn that every day. And I feel that, especially because most of my, I guess, I mean, I, I don't know, I call them artists because I do have students that are, I guess, students of mine or whatever. But most of my clients are professional artists, professional, like concept artists, animators in, uh, from the industry here. So, you know, I feel like, I don't deserve to teach these people if I'm not at least, you know, I have to keep current and have something to offer. Otherwise it's, um, yeah. So I feel like you always have to earn that too. And I feel that I wouldn't deserve to teach these people if I wasn't also keeping up with my own work. But I, I want to be in like at the end of the day, uh, and I really do find a joy in, in teaching people, but at the end of the day, I still consider myself an artist before a teacher. And so I, I feel very lost in the world if I don't have my animation and drawing work, you know? <laughs> well, we actually have quite a few students from iAnimate who have also either taken some of your courses or even actually doing both of them at the same time. And from every one of them, I've heard great things about 
you as an artist, but also as an instructor, as a teacher. So I think that says a lot. They've said you're very patient, very enthusiastic and passionate about it. And so I think that says a lot when you're trying to learn from somebody. Oh, that's nice of them. All right. (laughs) Thank you for me. (laughs) (laughs) So quick plug for your site. What's the uh, address? www.studio-technique.com. All right. So check that out. Plenty of stuff on there for you to see Samantha and what some of the courses she offers there. Yeah, it's um, a super awesome website. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to come back here real quick to your time at Disney. Who were some of the artists that were there at the time that you kind of felt like mentored you or took you under their wing? Well, like Andreas was there. Andreas Deja was there when I, I mean, I was there kind of at the tail end. Andreas was there and he was really amazing to learn from. There was an animator there down in Australia when I was at the Sydney studio that uh, his name was Andrew Brooks and he was really amazing and we were always working till like midnight every night but he was you know I felt I had to work till midnight every night you know just to earn my stripes there and I was I was like one of the youngest on the floor and uh, but he was you know, he was a veteran, like he was a senior animator, he's brilliant. And, but he'd always be there at night. So I could always like go by and uh, get some feedback from him. I also worked with my, one of my favorite leads when I was there was uh, Bernard Derriman. Uh He was amazing. He took care of all of us. Uh, this was on, um, on Bambi too. And uh, he was just absolutely amazing. And he had all the patience in the world and he'd go over your work. And so he was really brilliant. Well, what were some of the things that you felt like during that time, have now being in the trenches, that you really gleaned from versus having been in school and doing it? These guys, like you said, they're veterans. They've been in here for quite some time. What were some of the things that, if you can recall, that you felt like, wow, that was a light bulb moment? Well, um, there's one animator named Stéphane Saint-Foy, who uh, he was the lead on, on Nani um, in Lilo and Stitch, and he... Like having him go over my drawings uh, and this other animator, Bolem Bushiba as well, having them go over my drawings was amazing. I mean, I don't know. You just learn so much. Like, and that's something that I feel that um, it's the subtleties in it, just the little, they put a piece of paper on top of your drawing, they draw over it and you're watching them and you're like, yeah, that's pretty awesome drawing. But when they remove the paper and you see yours underneath, (laughs) And it really puts things in perspective. And it's just all the little subtleties because it's different than if you're just like a lot of the work that I do right now when I critique people's work. I try to do it. You know, it's all digital. Like I'll draw with my Cintiq over their scene. But it's really not the same as having like somebody sit and put a drawing on top of your drawing because there's so many subtle nuances that you can pull out of the drawing. And these people are so, you know, they just do such beautiful poses, beautiful design, beautiful expression, everything. And it's something that I love in, in 2D that um, I hope 3D will get there. Like I was actually really intrigued by the technology in Hotel Transylvania. Um, and I really hope that 3D is going to get to that place. But it's almost like every pose that you do or drawing that you do of the character is like redesigning the character. Um Based on like, I guess uh, you redesign them for each pose, each key, but you don't redesign the design. You just keep it to feel true to the character, but sometimes you have to redesign it to, I guess, be truer to the character. Whereas in CG, you can't do that because the, like if you rotate the head or something like that and the character might look emotionally off model from that certain angle you can't make adjustments to fix it I don't know how to explain that if that makes any sense but having people go over my work like that it like it's like every key pose was a new perspective on the character like every drawing and every so you know I learned a lot from those two actually like going over my work and that was just you know amazing to me just I but I don't know I don't know how to no yeah I got you because that's kind of one of the things I brought up I think it was with the interview with Tal Schwartzman and just bringing up that 2D background into CG and bringing up the examples in regards with Tangle and how Glenn Keane heavily influenced the look of that. Even though it was in CG, it still felt very 2D in that respect and the way the movements were and the poses were. And that's where I've kind of just having talked with you in the in the past here. It kind of, I guess for me, it was kind of one of those light bulb moments where you're kind of looking at it and you're going, man, you can really see the benefit of 
the 2D history and bringing that into CG. You know, and obviously there's still a lot of 2D work out there, but the the industry's in CG. But being able to glean those the concepts and the looks and things of that nature now into CG as well. And yeah, and I think I don't know. I mean, my experience, my I have more experience doing consulting in CG than actually um, doing the CG, which is what I'm trying to get more into. But um, Samantha's but, a student at I Animate right now, so too. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm there. Um, but you know, my experience in working with all these 3D artists too is that, and I I can see myself falling into that trap. Like I think I'm going to want to, I'm going to want to hold on to my 2D background more than ever as I go more into 3D, because I think the thing is with 3D is that the pose is always finished, you know, like, like you start with your rig in that, in the scene and the hands are there, the eyes are there, the nose is there, the body's there, the feet are there, like everything's there. And in 2D, it's not there until you draw it. So as you draw every finger, every, like even the nails on the fingers, you know, or the eyes or just the lids under the eyes, like nothing gets forgot. I mean, it, it all relies on your experience, of course, but. You're doing it, it with that purpose now. Yes. Everything that you put down has purpose. Whereas in 3D, you can see how at every stage, the pose or the drawing or the image is sort of there. And so it, things can get neglected or things get pushed not as much as you thought they could because it's finished and you're like, oh, hey, that that kind of works. And then you don't realize that it could have been so much more. And and that's what I really thought that, you know, they tapped into Entangled and having, you know, I think that's where Glenn's, I mean, one of many things where his value comes in, but, you know, something like that where you can really, I think a lot of those guys, you know, and when you watch the interviews and stuff, they didn't realize that they could have pushed that pose more. They thought that they had done it and then there was actually somewhere more that you could go with more rhythm and movement and life and character and personality and so yeah I think it's really I think it's important and and for clarity and communication as well you know like silhouette and pose design and graphic design and positive and negative space like that kind of stuff that when you're working in 3D I mean, even in 2D, you know like I I when I teach my students I teach them to think in in phases um and I tell them not like phase three is where they put in where I tell them to put in perspective and volumes, so to speak. But I don't want them to think in phase three until all of the gesture, the movement, the life and the design of the pose is there. And the design comes from a very flat concept of the picture plane, you know, just like in the same way that photographers would work with models and they need to have nice negative space around the the model's body. And it's not just about what you're like the figure but how the space around the figure looks to help convey the intent of that image or that scene. And so I feel it's the same thing. And in 3D, I think sometimes those things you see tan, like what we'd call in 2D or in drawing like tangent lines or bad silhouettes or lack of like graphic composition in, in those, because those elements aren't part of the process unless you choose to train yourself in those elements, but you don't necessarily always have those, like, you know, you can pose the model and sometimes those things I think can get neglected. Like neglected, yeah. Yeah, more easily because in 2D, it's it's like you have to think about it as you do it. So you won't forget because if you forget the hand, then it's, it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's a great point. And that's where I, I, like I mentioned, just talking with you in the past, looking at figure drawing, you can kind of tend to think, well, that's for 2D artists because they're wanting to be better draftsmen. But when you start looking at it from that vantage point, understanding where figure drawing comes into play. I know in particular your figure drawing one class, what is it called? Movement and form? Yeah, movement and form. It's the idea, though, of not having to be necessarily a great draftsman. It's the idea of understanding the force and the flow of the the body and stuff, right? Yes. And that's one where that class, I, I would, I'd have to say that that's a good third of the class comes from my ballet training as much as it comes from my 2D animation training. Because as a dancer, you have to, like, you look for, you know, a line of action in dance. We, we just call it a line. Like, like dancers just say, we're, you know, a line in the body or a line in the pose. You're always looking for a nice line. But, um, but it's the same idea. And so that's the way that I look at my figure drawing is finding that line, finding that aesthetic, finding a pose that communicates 
and thinking about where the energy is in the body to create believable movement. Because if you don't understand those things, it's true, you can just move things and it'll work, you know, but to make it feel real, if you understand how the body works, if you understand all those mechanics, you would know that the body can't, let's say, bend like that. And if you know where the limitations are or where it's flexible and you can push it, then the poses feel more real. Even if you can't see, you know, you could be working with a cartoony rig or a simplified rig, but just the angle that you bend the arms or the legs can contribute to how believable it is because you're going to bend it the right way as opposed to getting your animation feeling puppet-like, which also has to do with the spacing and, and all these other things. But but um, but part of it is the posing. And if the poses don't, like if the angle that you bent that arm or the way that the leg bends in relation to how it would affect the torso um, and you don't put those things into the pose, then that all contributes to breaking the believability, I think, of the movement and of the posing and the animation. So, yeah, so I think, you know, it's, it's yes, drawing is, there is a polish side or a render side to drawing, but I, I really think that the base of drawing is more about the understanding and analysis and the, the training and the benefit that you get from doing that. It's your life note-taking, and, and it's your way to process, like, information that you perceive. You have to put it down on paper, process it, understand it, and literally take notes, you know, to understand what's happening in the body. So that's how I see it, at least. And then, yeah, and so, and then polish is just, you know, it's polished, like, shading. And 2D animators might need to do, like, pretty little design things in their drawing. Um, but the basis of it, the fundamentals of figure drawing, I think that they apply to the CG area as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that's always been um, a problem. I know like when I get asked to go to schools and teach um, workshops at some of the schools, something that uh, I notice, at least in their gesture drawing stage at a lot of animation schools, 2D or 3D, because I look back to school too, and we had some great teachers and we had some fine arts in animation necessarily, but you know, some people that were great at life drawing um, at school were not necessarily great at character design and animation, and vice versa, because there would be people in life drawing that were doing these rendered charcoal, you know, figures with nice shading and stuff, um, but they never looked at the form and the mechanics and the function of the pose. They just did pretty drawings, and they were beautiful drawings, but then when they had to sit down and animate, they couldn't apply any of that knowledge into their work, you know, and I think I was a little bit spoiled because I had someone that mentored me when I was younger. Well, he's in I Animate, Ted T, and he, you know, draw with line and draw with, um, it's like, don't draw with chart, like draw with line. And, and he told me to keep a sketchbook with a pen and it forced me to make decisions. But what I noticed is that when I'd go, I, I just committed myself to that advice. And, and what it did was that it forced me to find move. I, I had to look for different things in the drawing than just falling on a crutch of rendering, you know? And so it helped me translate. Like to me, when I life draw, I think in exactly the same way as I would animate and do my animation drawings. And in the same way that I would analyze reference and, um, you know, video reference and, and um, stuff for my scenes, I look for the same things in the body, like directions of the hips, where the weight's shifting, where there's tension, what's, how is the body working? How is this happening? And so, yeah, and that's you know we've talked a lot about in the podcast about video reference and how that's obviously played a bigger role in CG in the last many years here. But that's kind of where we kind of go back to some of the stuff that you were talking about in regards to understanding how the body is working, and so learning to then understand what's happening in one's reference, right? Yeah, I think it's I think that's important because I think if you don't have that understanding, at least. I mean, this is what I've perceived in people that I've worked with, at least, um, is that people will go in, uh, 3D animators will go in to look at reference because they know that they're supposed to look at reference. But in some ways, their brain is processing it in the same way that a computer would process motion capture. Like they're looking for surface points and they're like, OK, uh, his arm is up, so I'm going to put the arm up in the pose. And this arm is over here, so I'm going to match that in the pose and the legs are here. And um, and, you know, they'll look at things like, OK, they see the weight shifting or, or whatever. But it's like the best way I can think of to describe it is, you know, how like in films like Avatar, when they put those little motion sensor points all over the face, 
And you get these plasticized versions of the expression. If you look at, like, you can Google images for it, and you can look at the actor, and you can look at their CG counterpart. And so you get these, these images that copy the surface movement. But if you actually understand what's happening in the face, like, like if, you, if they're screaming, and you understand that the action of the scream is, like, where these muscles are pulling from and what is causing that energy and what directions are pushing where in the face then the pose of the the cg counterpart would actually look much more alive because it wouldn't it's like it's like putting dots on fabric over your hand they could kind of follow the movement of the fabric but if you really know where the fabric is pulling from then you can recreate that better and it's i don't know if that makes sense but that's that's sort of um a problem that I see in people looking at references, they're looking at these superficial things, but if you understand where that movement is propelled from, what is causing that action, then not only can you break it down in the reference that you see, but you can push it further and you can push it towards the intent of what you're trying to accomplish in your scene and, and illustrate that more and isolate that as opposed to being a bit vague or ambiguous because you're not completely clear on, on how everything is, is working. So right. So basically not, like you mentioned, uh, having someone's hand that's raised or something like that, not just raising the hand in the CG rig, but now understanding how that affects the chest and maybe the, the twist on that. And then now maybe the hips that have to accommodate that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And then also like what's propelling it? Like is the hand reaching, like is the hand sort of the, the um, if the hand is up there, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say this verbally without drawing it. I'm so used to it. <laughs> But um, it's it's sort of a thing like um, like in in dance, what we would do is if you have to raise your arm or if you're gesturing at someone, depending on the intent of the character of what you're trying to come like portray to the audience, does the gesture come from the heart that overlaps all the way to the extended hand, or does the gesture come from the hand pulling the body? along with it but then you have you could have two poses where an arm is raised as a gesture towards another character but they have different energy and intent and they tell a different story because if you know where it's coming from the subtle changes in the pose say something very different i don't know if that, no, that makes a lot of sense um like you're saying it's going back to the intent not just what you're seeing on the surface because that's one of the things that i, I had a class with um ken fountain and I think it was uh, workshop four, up close acting on the face. And that was kind of some of the stuff where I started understanding that it's not just what the character is saying, it's what they're thinking as well. And so it's that subtext. And it's kind of, from what I'm understanding from your vantage point as well, the physicality portion of that. It's not just a gesture with the hand up. It's what's the intent in that. And that affects the way the whole body is positioned, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, not that this is about dance, but like in dance, we were always trained that our bodies have to convey the soul of the character. Like that's what you have to do is, is absorb that role of the character. In classical ballet, sorry, classical ballet is more narrative and character based. So it's about performing that character and bringing a believable character across, you know, to the audience, which is very much, I feel, what animators have to do because that's what we do as character animators. That's what we do. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it is that um, I think sometimes people just look too much at the surface and then the intent gets lost. Or the other thing is, is that if you replicate the, I don't know, this is my philosophy, but this might be a little bit of an old school 2D philosophy. I don't know. But um, but my thing is, is that I, I fully support reference. Like the old guys did it, nine old men did it. I don't think mocap is the best solution. I, I prefer to have reference because you analyze it and you bring your knowledge and understanding to the reference as well. But I think that's the important thing to remember is that for me, the way that I perceive my animation at least is that we're still storytellers. We still have something to say to like we're part we're contributing to telling a story of who this character is or their role or the scene has an intent and we're trying to communicate that to the audience. So as much as our reference might be true to that, I believe that you have to still take it further than what the reference gives you. And so even though it's you have to observe and understand to expand your library of knowledge and expand 
your, you know, your understanding. But at the end of the day, I think you have to push it past the reference. And if you just try to emulate reference, then you might as well do mocap, you know? I mean, it obviously it's not quite the same, but if you're just literally trying to translate reality-based reference, um, I don't think that that, that, I mean, it could work, but I think that you also risk, maybe that's not going to help you completely tell the story that you need to tell. And so I think that you need to understand what's motivating that reference, tap into that core, and then take that as far as you need to take it, even if it means taking it past what the reference gave you. But you have to take it from that point in the reference, like that you under, the reference will give you that foundation. Yes. You know, you can't just make it up. Knowledge is so limited. Like I say this all the time to my students is that we have a library in our head that's like, I don't know, you know, if I put my hands apart, like maybe about the width of my head or something. So you have to observe to keep expanding your your knowledge, your understanding, like how things work. But if you ever completely rely on just your understanding, you're always going to be limited by the selection within your personal library. So I, I think that it's important to always go to reference and, and analyze different approaches and keep expanding, you know, what, what your options are as an artist for what you want to say. But, um, but at the same time, you don't want to photocopy it, you know? So for those that don't know, Samantha, as she kind of mentioned at the beginning here, also many of her clients up in that area are a lot of the gaming studios. And so it's kind of neat having you as a guest here because we have the two divisions, actually three divisions, feature games and rigging, but the two primary ones for animation, the feature and the games. And so your background kind of pulls those two together. And we'll kind of get into some of the other stuff here because uh, she's, she's quite the gamer as well. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think kind of talking about that storytelling aspect of it. Do you think that's partly why some of these gaming studios hire you as a consultant or they become your clients because they're now wanting to maybe move beyond just the realism and more to that believability in the storytelling as well? I hope so. I don't feel that yet with every studio, but I think every studio is unique, you know, in, in their approach. Like, you know, you have studios like Blizzard and Valve that I think are more along those lines. And I, I mean, but then you've got studios like Ubisoft and Bioware that are trying to go more and more hyper realistic, you know, and they're very mocap dependent. Um, most of the time, like when I work with the studios, a lot of it is just because a lot of the animators that are there, at least in the industry here, a lot of them have experience handling mocap, but they haven't been trained very well in how the body works and so we do a lot of figure drawing to help get their mechanics under control so they can make better decisions with the mocap and and better pose designs and stuff but yeah I think also with next like all the next gen stuff that's coming out the standard is getting to a place that it's less forgiving on the gaming artists like whereas it used to maybe be a little more forgiving but now you'll have like hyper realistic um, characters that don't move, that float or move really not so realistically. So they're having to step up their training now and try to, I guess, get themselves more on a feature way of, of thinking. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, because, you know, like, like David Dubel, who's in the uh, games, who ha does the games division at iAnimate, right? Like, he's he wants to be doing different, like, you know, his projects. I think he wants to be taking his feature experience and really bringing that into the projects that he's working on in games is my understanding. So I think I think it will be taking that direction for sure. But even on even kind of the degree that you're talking about in regards to just learning that body mechanics, when I started doing some of the acting classes here at iAnimate, I think you find out really quickly how, and I'm <laughs> for, for better or for worse, how good or bad your body mechanics are. Because yeah. you, you can have solid acting, but if you can't physically do the body in a correct way to portray that acting, it's not going to do you any good. And so yeah. just like you're talking about there, even if it's just for the, the sake of, okay, hey, we want our artists to be really, really good at body mechanics, that's still going to play a heavy role in the acting to whether you know whether they start up in their game as in the games, getting that more of that uh, storytelling poses, or if they go you know to another studio where it's in the features or something along that lines. That body mechanics is so crucial to be able to properly portray that storytelling. 
Yeah, I think I think it is. I, I think also it's funny that you say that, though, because some of the people I worked with, like they can't emulate poses or identify with their bodies because they're used to sitting in chairs all day, you know, in front of a computer. <laughs> but I think that there's a truth in this and I could be wrong. Like, you know, at Disney, um, it's and most of the studios, you know, you have rooms where you can film like we had a big theater room where we could film reference and stuff, film ourselves. We were always going in there acting out our scenes. There were mirrors everywhere so that we could look at like we could just get out of our workstation and um I could walk out of my office and just go into a little like in the corridors there were mirrors so we could just act it out like in front of everyone which is awkward but yeah you know you can you can do that but I think I think there's something to be said that if you can't feel it yourself and again I think you know this is just my opinion um I know that people other people will have very different opinions but I think that if you can't feel it yourself I don't think it'll come across as real on the screen because if you can't feel it then you how can your character feel it like how could you get like you would look at the character doing something that you made them act out but if you can't do it and you can't feel like really feel in your body what it feels like you know if the character is putting that across or not it's like it's like I love coffee and if somebody else doesn't know what it's like to love coffee and have like a nice hot cup of coffee when you're freezing first thing, I don't think you could animate that as well. Like I bet I could do a better scene of that and say, you know what? I identify with that and I really feel <laughs> what that feels. I mean, you know, no, it goes back to you're talking about your, that library in your head. You can only, if you only have so much, you know, it's difficult to, I, I remember there was a class with, um, when I had Ted T as an instructor, there was a student who, was, who wasn't going to be able to make it to one of our classes, but he was going to go to some type of concert. And Ted was totally cool with that. He said, go to this. It'll help in your kind of life experience that you may be able to use in one of your animations later down the road. Yeah. And I think it does. I think that you need to experience those things. And I think you need to feel things. And I think animators have to be physical. I mean, drawers have to be physical. I tell everyone in my, my figure drawing classes and I tell them to emulate the poses or take poses and feel it in their body. And it's always funny, but when I work with, especially the younger guys, the younger men more than the women, because girls at some point have had like dance classes or something in their life probably, but often the guys can't emulate the pose. Like they can't shift their weight in the same, or they're seeing, and if they can't do it in their body, it makes me realize that they're also not observing it. Like that's, and you see it in their drawing, you see that they can't see it in the body, in, in the figure in front of them. And so they can't, and they can't feel it in themselves and they can't translate it, you know? So it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing, but I think you do need to be, I think animators need to be physical. I mean, you can always get someone else to shoot your reference for you. But I think at the end of the day, you're the one sitting at your desk doing your your scene. And you can work with both because, you know, it's true. Like, you can't necessarily effectively perform every... I mean, we're not full-time actors. We are, but we're we're not really because we have a lot of other things to work on, too, than just acting. But someone that's a trained live-action actor might be a... would be a stronger actor than most animators because they devote their lives to that soul but so you can't I know that sometimes some animators will reference or get other people to act something out if they feel that that would bring a stronger performance to it but you still have to be able to feel it or relate to some degree you know to to get it across so yeah and that's what when it was kind of funny I asked a lot of our interviewers or interviewees you know I have a wrestling background I wrestled in uh, high school college a lot of our other instructors do either some type of martial arts, and that's why I was talking with you, that you have your ballet background, but also some martial arts as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that just understanding how the body works and that, like you mentioned, that force or the the weight shifts or the balance and how that affects your whole body, I think it definitely does help be able to translate that now into whether it be drawings or on the rig. Yeah, I think so. And that stuff can, I mean, at the end of the day, it's true. It's all about your acting. But I see it as like every degree of believability that you can add to your scene always helps. And if that, the it's not that the scenes are about the mechanics, but if the mechanics aren't there, you broke the world, you know, like they have to believe that that world and that that character exists. So you don't want to break that. Absolutely. So just real quick, just for those that are out there, you want to talk a little about your martial arts background? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
interested in it. Um, I just think but, it's, it's fun stuff like that, you know, that kind of makes things interesting and kind of understanding where you're kind of coming from. Well, I, um, I, well, cause I, I used to be in a ballet company, so I always was drawn to the prettier kind of martial arts as a, as a dancer. Like I wasn't, I wasn't out there to practice, like be a practical fighter or anything, but, uh, Pick fights on the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where I go. Um, I did some Taekwondo. I really liked, I thought that, you know, suited me um, just because it's more legwork and jumping and acrobatics. So uh, I did WTF style Taekwondo and I got my um, black belt in that. So watch out. Uh, <laughs> that was, that was pretty fun. But, uh, you know, like we were saying, it was like a, it was like a competition sport, like a point oriented uh, fighting system. So after that, I did Shaolin, Northern Shaolin, and that was really interesting to me because when I sparred with people in the class, they were all of a sudden, you know, like kicking me in the back of the knee or something and, and knocking me over. And I was like, you can't do that. That's illegal. You know? <laughs> so it was good for my brain to, to, and I also got to learn weapons, which was really cool. That's awesome. So I was, yeah, I, I thought that was pretty cool. I was really excited. Butterfly swords were like my favorite. I felt so like ninja-y. <laughs> I was one ninja pirate, so I was <laughs> So see if you ever have to uh, animate a shot like that, you know how to use some weapons. Oh, yeah, that's true. Do that. <laughs> really fun. And uh, I, I miss it, actually. Like I, And even when I've, like I, I sort of try, I've tried different martial arts everywhere. Like whenever I've moved and if I saw a new school, I'm like, cool, I'll try that out. But I really did like Northern Shaolin and Taekwondo. I, I think Northern Shaolin in the end the best. But I really enjoyed my time doing uh, Taekwondo, too. It was really, really fun and cool stuff. So. Now, uh, looking at your bio, you also went to school in uh, Paris, which was uh, Goblins. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Um, well, they have a, an intensive program that's more for professionals, I guess. And that was amazing. That was really cool. And I met some really cool people. And I love always being a student. So that's that was really nice, too. But I really love their philosophy. I thought they were an amazing school. And I'm really glad to have had the experience to go study there because their way of thinking, like now everything, like the best stuff seems to be going online. But they're very true to, to very small groups and mentoring and wanting to sit in the same room with people. And they just really believe in that approach. But they get, you know, and it, it's evident in the work that they do. They get really great um results but I think they're the best 2D school that's out there you know right now and and uh and it's yeah it's an amazing place and it's cool to study in Paris like I don't think <laughs> I mean I got to um go into the I, like at Disney they had the Paris studio and I went in there a little bit and uh that was I mean it's just cool to you know when they had that back then but now it's I never got to actually work there I had friends that were there so I'd go in and see them and They'd go over my work sometimes and everything. But I think that, you know, I wish that they were still there in Paris because I think that that's an amazing and inspiring city to be living in and studying in and, and working in. I really enjoyed the time that I was, I was working for a different feature company when I was in Paris, but I really enjoyed working there and doing art classes. And uh, and then, yeah, and Goblin, though, is, is amazing. I have nothing bad to say about it. I think that they were great. They had a lot of former DreamWorks teachers that were uh, teaching there, too, and stuff. And um were you there when uh, Alexis Winneroy was there? I don't think so. He's one of our instructors right now, and uh, he that's where he graduated from. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so many brilliant people from there. It's a brilliant place, really talented. And Now, do you feel at home there since you speak French as well? I do, actually. I really like Paris a lot. It's almost it's, – it's not the same. It's not the same as – like Montreal or anything, but, um, but I really do. I, I love, I, the French that I learned also, I learned to speak an international French cause I went to a private school. So I actually find that we have, there's a very strong accent here in Montreal and, uh, which is cool and their own culture, but I learned, I feel actually more comfortable speaking French in Paris because the accent was somewhat similar to what I learned in school and stuff. But yeah, I love that city. I can't say enough good things about it. <laughs> And the artists in France are amazing. I'm always blown away with the artists there. And their schools and their learning, like, you know why they're great. Because their schools are fantastic. Like, they they really focus on all the right things. And they are, they're just, I think they're just brilliant. So you can see why there's so much talent coming coming out of France and stuff. Very neat. I wanted to get a couple quotes here. I actually had a chance to um, send out a couple emails to some of 
like I mentioned, some of our students have either taken or are taking some of your classes. And uh, I want to be able to maybe kind of use these as springboards to kind of talk about some of this stuff. Uh, Richard Willimont said, in Sam's gesture drawing class, we learned about what makes a strong pose, things like rhythm, shape, force, the line of action, and the list goes on. Can you talk a little bit about rhythm in regards to some of the figure drawing that you teach? Yeah. So the way that I break down gesture in a body, like my philosophy is that gesture always has purpose. Like I don't believe in scribbles for the sake of scribbles. Um, So I break down energy into different ways that it, I guess, physically manifests itself in a pose for, that sounds really fancy. It's not. (laughs) You just brought our podcast up to a whole new level. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Rhythm to me is like, organic and passive energy or or it's a way of like the main I I sort of see the pose as having a main line like a line of action like something that is the foundation of the pose and that is your story that is like the heart and core and soul of the pose or the drawing but then there's other elements involved like you can't just have one line and you don't want to just have random lines and limbs and everything um just put there that break the pose like they all need to have purpose to tell that story in that pose and to me rhythm is like the organic connection I guess of the of all the elements of the pose and how they relate to each other and lead the eye through the pose so that you always have movement that the eye can always move through the pose you don't have any broken areas or jarring areas that it organically um flows everywhere and so, and that's, but it's more of a passive thing because you also have a gra- like what I'd consider like force or directional energy where the pose is forced in different directions, like because of active muscle or, um, yeah, I don't know how to, I'm so used to drawing this. Okay. We're going to take a pause here real quick and Sam's going to draw it for us. You just have to, <laughs> you have to listen to it. <laughs> Pencil scratching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, I guess it's like having that, you know, organic flow that connects everything in the pose to make it very aesthetic and appealing. I say that's more of what rhythm is. And rhythm can take, there's external elements and internal elements. And the most important thing is like how everything, like a, an internal movement that connects everything. Like, like, I guess the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like the rig, like the strings like the threads within the body that string the forms together. But there's also when you finalize, and again, this might be more of a 2D thing, but the design aspect of rhythm would be on the external parts where the eye will make connections between things. Like if if you imagine that if I draw, like you know when you have a dotted line on a map, even though there's spaces on the line, we connect that like the the markings, the dots or whatever are following each other, like our eye connects that. And you could spread those out a little bit further, but if the overall line of the map has a flow, we will connect those markings to each other despite the fact that there's a space in we'll between. fill in the blank. Yeah, exactly. And so rhythm externally would be like how you handle the contours of the pose when the drawing is done, that you'll think of things like how the edge of that shoulder could follow through to the top of the knee if the knee is bent or something and maybe they connect I don't know how to say that but like you know that you can find ways to just adjust and refine the pose too to get external rhythm but there's also an internal rhythm of how the body moves and relates to each other so that's that's my my little two cents on rhythm <laughs> no that uh, that goes back to like I mentioned uh, in uh, Kin's class when he would talk about rhythm uh, more in a um in your acting choices. And it's kind of like when you're going back to there, that it just makes it that much more appealing and entertaining. Does, is, does he mean like timing wise, like, like in rhythm or? Yeah. Kind of more the texture of how things kind of come across where it's not so, but it's kind of the same idea though, as I'm kind of gathering it, it's just, it's that idea that it makes it more entertaining and, um, and it's the same kind of concept we were talking about there where you're saying it's not just hitting something. It, you, you've got that flow and it's just, it's appealing to watch now. It is. It's like it's like music, right? Like you want to have like staccato moments and rhythmic, like melodious moments, and the combina- the texture that the two bring makes like interesting sound or whatever. And I, I think, from what I understand, I guess that's probably what he, I think what he means in the acting. And 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 I see that too with an individual pose. Like a pose by itself has texture in that not everything is a like 
forceful and not everything is relaxed, you know, like that there's a, there's always a texture to the pose in the body as well as to the movement in your scene and, and everything. So uh, that's how I see it. Now, uh, you're gonna have to help me out with her last name, Bianca. It's she's been at INA for quite some Sierke? time. Sierke. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> um, she said even CG animation, when projected on film, is still just a flat surface. So in a way, it's quite similar to 2D in that way. And I remember Tal Schwartzman kind of talking about that as well. And then she goes on to say, when you learn drawing, you learn how to, you can push shapes and can play with straight lines to make your poses have more force. This kind of knowledge lets us strengthen our poses, and that in turn lets us create stronger animation. I also found that Samantha's classes were amazingly helpful for analyzing video reference. And we kind of talked a little bit about video reference there. Can you talk a little bit about where she talks about some of the force and things of that nature? Um, the force. and Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be like in the opposition to how things are like rhythmic. Uh, force in the pose, at least. I see it as things like understanding that, you know, if if I have weight, let's say on like if you shift your weight to one leg, that leg the leg that the weight is being supported on as opposed to the leg that's just not where the weight is, the supporting leg has force resistance where it's fighting gravity. That's what's stopping you from falling down. So there's force in that leg. And because it's fighting the ground, it's forcing the hip up. You know, you shift your weight over, it pushes the hip up. The other hip drops down and relaxes. But that leg that's forcing the hip up would be like more like force energy because it's aggressive it's active in the body, so it forces the hip up, and that hip forces the body to counterbalance so that you don't fall over, which makes your shoulders oppose it. And so to me, force within the gesture is that, you know, the aggressive energy that is affecting elements of the body, as opposed to rhythmic energy, which is like the organic, passive energy, like the leg that there's no weight on, I would it would be much softer. There's no weight on it. So it's not fighting the ground. It's not supporting you. It's just flowing out of the pose. So it would be much more organic. So in those ways, you know, and you can understand that if there's all this counterbalancing and movement within the body, you know, you don't just want to bend the shoulders and leave it like the ribs, the ribs collapse on one side and push out on the other side and the hips push this way. And so you can get much more dynamic posing by understanding that I guess force energy within the body, but it's a misconception to think of all energy as forceful because there's a, an organic, like you said, like there's a texture and an organic thing. So not everything is is like dynamic force energy. It's just that some of it, some of it is, and some of it's aggressive, and some of it's passive, and just happens as a result of the body being in that pose. But the other elements are what force the body. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a lot what you talk about in your figure drawing classes, right? Yeah. That's what made me really kind of go back to just really understanding the benefit of something like that. Like I said, you know, obviously a lot of people know in animation, that's what a lot of the Nine Old Men did and, and uh, Glenn Keane. But we, I think there was, at least for myself, there was kind of that mentality, okay, well, that's what 2D artists or 2D animators do. But now you kind of start understanding what the purpose of why they were doing that. And all of a sudden it starts clicking as to the benefit now for CG as well. I think it's, I think it's, I mean, okay, I know this is, this is going to probably start a war if I say this, but I'm going to say it because it's what I believe. (laughs) But I don't believe, I, I, I mean, I think you can animate in CG without a drawing background. Like, that's true. I think, though, that a lot of successful CG animators study drawing without realizing it because they are analyzing poses and trying to think of design. But I think it takes them longer because they don't know how to articulate it as well as if they just did their note taking. Drawing is about expanding your understanding. And so I think that any (laughs) I know this is really bad. My opinion. and I Just throw it out there contradicted this is I know this is a really risky thing to say but I really (laughs) believe like I'm biased too right because I come from a 2d background but I don't believe that when people say that you don't need 2d and they've had like some of the best animators that I know came from 2d first and even if they say well I don't use my 2d training I don't think that's true like that's not true because you've done so much training Drawing is about seeing the world and interpreting it. And, 
you know, what Bianca was saying and, and what I talk about in my classes about the screen is still a picture plane that is a flat image. It's about composition, interesting composition. How do you get interesting composition? How do you get interesting shape designs? By understanding to look at positive and negative space as well, graphic elements. And that's all, 3D is the same. You know, it's mm -hmm. not any different. That, that image on the screen, photographers think about that in live action photography. Cinematographers think about that in live action. So why don't CG animators think about that too? And I think that, I don't think that, those principles are abandoned by people that transitioned into 3D from 2D. I think that they've just had it. So it's their blood, you know, and that's what it's supposed to be for you in 2D too. You're not supposed to think about drawing. You're supposed to be thinking about animating. And the idea is that you've drawn so much that it becomes part of your subconscious. It's like writing. Like I'm not going to make that many spelling mistakes when I write, but I don't have to think about it because I'm just writing. I already know the words. I know I just have to, what I have to think about is what I want to say with my letter or with my poem or with whatever, but the tools are in you. And I think that, so I know that that might be controversial to say that. I think that it does help people. And I think it's true that you can move things around Maya and you can learn the principles of animation as well. But I think the same thing can be said that you don't know what you don't know. And in the same way that people, you know, like there's probably a lot of people that apply to iAnimate that are like, yeah, I'm like such an advanced animator. I've done so much animation and they're just moving things in Maya and they don't realize until they get in there that they're like, wow, I had no idea that this is how, you know, and you're just struggling. You're like, how do I get my scene to be more believable? How come it's not happening? And so you don't know what you don't know. And I think that especially people that don't draw, they don't see the tangents, they don't see why the pose isn't clear. They don't see how that posture could be communicated better because they never knew that it could be broken down that way. And so then they, they're trying to figure it out. I don't know. Well, I think it's maybe the idea is that you don't have to be a great artist slash drawer, but you still have to understand those same concepts and practice them. Even if it doesn't, even if that that's not your, um, in purpose, it's still for the in purpose of understanding what's happening there for your CG aspect, right? Yes, yes, because I think the misconception, at least that I come across working in both worlds, uh, and again, this is just from my own experience, is that um, I think the big misconception is that people, because most people even in 2D, like when I work with 2D artists, not necessarily animators, but concept artists, or even animators, you know, I've worked with a lot of animators now from France that I've been training and that are from 2D and because they never approach drawing in that specific way even their they they draw for the sake of drawing pretty pictures but in a way the pose is empty I don't know how else to say it and so I think there is a misconception that drawing means pretty pictures as opposed to all principles of understanding observing and and note-taking and and it's a really great way to analyze poses and understand them so that you can bring it to your CG because it's sort of like thumbnailing or planning your scene. If you're already working in the scene and you didn't plan it all out or anything like that and you're you're going to fumble around a lot and hope to stumble through trial and error on the best result. But, you know, if you draw something, like you can just look at a pose and analyze it, draw it, and then you go into your scene and you're like, now I really know where I need things or where you know a lot of the drawings that people do in my colleague things that they want to show their parents like their ugly scribbly looking things or not their drawings aren't ugly but I'm just getting them to draw internal lines so it looks till they get to the later levels it can look you know very um you're not recognizing any forms it's in a way a very abstract type of drawing um but it is to observe and see those those principles and stuff that's why I said I think I agree with you on that, that you don't have to be a great artist because if you're in purpose isn't pretty pictures, the idea then is understanding what these veterans in 2D animation were gleaning from figure drawing and things of that nature. Because mm -hmm. I think that's what I think that's the main purpose of it. I mean, it also serves a supplementary purpose for 2D animators to draw better, to be, you know, draw better in the sense of like prettier, nicer, more aesthetic looking drawings but I think you know a lot of it is about the function of it because 
imagine, you know, the work that was done on Tarzan and stuff and getting this understanding how that body moves and having to draw all of it and, and how weight transitions and when he's crawling along and, and shifting his weight on his arms and like just all these mechanics, you really need to, like the animators have to sit there and draw that and they don't have a live action Tarzan swinging through the trees. So it it is like, you know, all of that life drawing that you do, the more that you understand it, the more that you can almost re like I've done so much life drawing now that I know that if I took any gesture, I could draw, I could draw any pose and understand how to make it work. I mean, I, and there's still so much more that I have to learn, but you know, when you do enough of it, you are able to take all that knowledge and maybe fairly accurately on your own reproduce something. Cause you understand how everything's working together. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, that was the goal of it. That's why, I mean, that was my understanding, at least when I was being trained in that you know, the people that mentored me um, passed on to me to work. Like, and that's why I religiously worked on my life drawing because it was more than just the drawing itself. Very cool. That's that's fantastic. What made you want to jump into iAnimate now? Well, I've known a lot of the guys that are teaching at iAnimate for a while. And I, you know, obviously I respect their animation because they're all some of the best animators in the business, right, teaching there. So it's pretty cool to be in a, in an environment where you can get feedback. Um, you know, it's, it's like working in the studios, except that you can actually in some ways get more feedback. Cause you know, when you're working on production, you can't bug <laughs> all the time, but you know, it's nice to have a class where someone is devoted, to, someone of that caliber is devoted to helping you with your work. And so for me, that was like, you know, obviously that's one of the reasons. And mm -hmm. the, is too is you know with Jason's approach to things like I felt that that was the transition that I needed because you know he approaches things coming from a 2D I know his experience is mostly in 3D but he really does t have a nice stepping stone from 2D to 3D in his way of thinking and so I felt that for someone with my background that was the kind of transition that I needed and I wanted to be with a group of mentors that um, a lot of them understand that bridging that gap, I guess. Mm -hmm. So there was there was that. And, and also just the community was cool because last year I was invited to guide the sketch group for one semester and, and teach there. And that was really cool to meet everyone. And everyone was so – I couldn't believe how amazing all the students were and how, like, wonderful everyone was and what a nice community it was. So as soon as I had the time, it was just my, my work so – keeps me so busy and so I've just been waiting to get the time in my schedule to do it so I'm really excited to be able to to start now but those are those are my main reasons so it kind of goes back to what you're talking a little bit about there mentioning being around a studio that you felt like being surrounded by great artists would kind of help push you and that's been really kind of neat here at iAnimate to have a good group because we have a, a variety we have from you know workshop one to seven at least in the features and then the other workshop levels within the other divisions but we have a pretty varied skill level and we have a lot of people who are already in the working in the industry who come in and start taking classes so it's very neat to see that high level there yeah. but um i just i'm really excited to see what you do with the CG because you got a strong background in animation and it's just animation is animation in that regards, whether it's stop motion or whatever, the same principles still apply, but you've also got that heritage in 2d that I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the CG realm as well. No pressure. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I really, you know, it's, it's definitely, I'm, I'm really um, excited to, I mean, I'm trying to take it like, you know, Maya is a big transition for me. I've, I mean, I've done, it's not like I've never seen Maya before because, like I said, I've worked with a lot of 3D animators where I'll help them with their scenes. But I just point to it and I'll be like, okay, you need more squash over here or you need more of this. But I've never actually put myself into Maya and, you know, animated these scenes. So it's the tediousness of it is honestly very overwhelming Like at this point because you work so hard. Like I worked – and even then, you know, my drawing, I still feel – I have so far to go and I worked so hard though to get my drawing to, I got my drawing at least to a level where I felt like I don't feel restricted by it anymore to animate. You know, there's a stage where you couldn't like, you know, you'd have to stop thinking about the acting cause you're like, Oh, I just can't get this pose. It's just the hands working or, you know, and you can't draw it. And then I finally got myself to a comfort level that, 
not that it's perfect, but I was like, I didn't have to worry about drawing anymore. I felt like I could just get what I wanted to say across in my scene. And then if there were some drawing struggles, I could fix it. But it was, I felt like it was the beginning. And then you go into 3D and there's just so many little, it's just the tediousness of it right now that I'm finding like, it's. I have to get used to it. But you know, it's funny because you get used to drawing things. So I know that I could do the same thing in drawing faster, but I don't, it's, you know, it's things like, if the translate and the rotate don't perfectly sing, sync up in how the computer interpolates your animation, then something looks like it's spinning or floating or it doesn't quite work. And then you've got to go in and fix. Like, it's just tedious number fixing sometimes. But if I drew it, I would be sure that every drawing, the translation and rotation together would be in sync with how I drew it. So I feel like throwing my computer sometimes and just saying like, I could just draw this. <laughs> but I mean, it's not that bad. It's actually, I'm really enjoying it, but I think it helps also. I'm really glad to um, have made the choice to do iAnimate because it's really helpful to have the instructors that are here and to watch the archives. And so I feel that for me, it's it's really not that, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> I'm actually saying that, but it, it is really, it's really cool, but it is hard like to it, make it's that a transition. transition. I find it just tedious so far. It's, I don't know. We'll see what. And we're only in our, what, third week here. So this is your first block here in our third week. So it's pretty right out the gates here. But that's why I like guys like uh, James Baxter, who would make that yeah. transition from 2D to, to CG, where he's just going, hey, this is animation. And I think that's for you. That's just going to be that idea is just getting continuing get down your comfort zone instead of going, okay, I could do this so much faster here and just realizing it's just animation. And once you get more comfortable yeah. with that, that's where I said, I'm just, it'll be neat to see your transition I, in that. I hope so. Cause I do see it in the same, you know, that they are actually the same, like it's movement and acting. And, and I really do like how 3d does facilitate. Um, I, I mean, you can just, you know, once you're comfortable with the software, you can just focus on the animation and it's true. And you don't have to worry about drawing obstacles like if your drawing isn't quite there you can still get a pose out there like it's not like 2d you have to develop the drawing and the animation at the same time and and 3d you can just worry about animation which in theory i guess it means that you could even invest more time into your animation um thank you for mentioning james i hope i can make a transition as well as you know the guy's a genius and <laughs> giving you some hope here well, when I was in school, that was my goal. Like, I never looked at my other classmates. I think people thought I was a snob, but I never compared myself to my classmates. I was like, I am not James Baxter. I have one year before, like, James Baxter was 21 years old when he was the supervising animator on Bell, and I've got one year to make that deadline. Like, <laughs> he was, like, the bane of my existence. <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, I always admire his work so much, so it's, uh, but he's, you know, he's a brilliant animator and um and it is it's inspiring though to see him like because he was the he's one of the best animators in 2d that like you know if you could count on your hands like top 10 animators it right. would easily be him in 2d and well i would think i think in 3d too so you know the guy is just he's a brilliant artist and yeah that's why i said i just i like seeing that it's just it's animation whether it be stop motion 2d cg whatever you know the idea is getting that storytelling out there in this form i think so too <laughs> well sam i really do appreciate your time i know you got to get here shortly it's been a great podcast and i really appreciate thank it thank you for inviting me and thanks for yeah i really enjoyed it i i love what i do so i'm always happy to talk about it but thank you <laughs> awesome yeah, sorry about my like <laughs> drawing comments no that hey gives us plenty to talk about <laughs> <laughs> well thanks again samantha we really appreciate it Thank you, Larry. Take care. <laughs> Bye.